Uh, hello. This is uh, uh, Jonathan Rando. Uh, you mentioned me in your latest podcast. Um, I, I was a long-time listener, kind of a first-time caller situation. But you spoke about Bunny Festival 2. I, I would like to know where I could find this Bunny Festival 2. Also, are the live bunnies in it? Have a good day. Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Whoa, boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was within a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. That arcade was my church. I thought I was Hey, everybody. Todd Mitchell here. Welcome back to Game Dev Breakdown. We are doing a brand new type of episode today. So the idea here is about a week ago, I got on Twitter I let everybody know, hey, there's this new app called Swell. It's sort of a new social media platform. And if you put it on your smartphone, iOS, Android, you name it, you can start your account and use your just your phone mic to leave messages for people. Think of it like a big group chat where everyone's just using the voice recording feature. It, it's kind of like that. So point being, it's a new social network. It's pretty ideal for podcasters for people to leave feedback in a format that you could use for a show like it's almost like a call-in show but all the calls are pre-recorded you can think of it that way so i tried this last week i put it up on the uh, game dev breakdown podcast twitter account and retweeted to uh, the accounts that i have access to just to let you guys know that if you wanted you could jump on this post i made on swell leave your own feedback, questions, input, and if I had enough activity, we would do sort of a call-in style show. So, minus the chaos of trying to do it live. So with that in mind, several people did reach out and leave what I thought were great questions and great comments, so we're going to go through some of that, and I will respond. So uh, here we go, let's find out who our first, I don't know what, what to call, uh, caller doesn't seem quite right, but uh, yeah, let's go with caller. Let's see what our first caller had to say. By the way, this is Phil. His <laughs> It's a new social network, so everyone's getting really good screen names, and this is Phil. Hey, Todd. Um, I just went to your website, and I was reading about uh, your one-year anniversary of visiting the last Aladdin's Castle, and man, that just took me back. Uh, I have just such fond memories of Aladdin's Castle and just the name alone and, and seeing the, the font above the uh, uh, above the actual arcade was just really, really brought me back. So thank you for that. Phil goes on, but let's pause here for a moment so we can talk about this. A year ago, I rounded my family up, and because we live in Missouri and this is in Illinois, we were able to go visit the last Aladdin's Castle on Earth. If you don't know about Aladdin's Castle... They were a mega popular arcade chain for decades and decades. And they they started in a different mall in Illinois. They expanded, grew and grew and grew till they were like the top dog arcade location, uh, arcade chain. And then things sort of wound down over the late 80s, early 90s until uh, by the 2000s they had been sold. There were barely any locations left. A lot of them went automated. There was no staff. And eventually there was one mall with one Aladdin's castle, and it's in Quincy, Illinois. So we uh, we went there a year ago, 
got to take my five-year-old, my wife. We walked around, played games. We had had a great time. It's, I mean, it's seen better days. It's not a huge arcade with a giant selection, but we actually had a really fun time. So I took some pictures, uh, did did small posts at that time. On the one-year anniversary, because I saw it come up on Facebook, of course, I rounded those pictures back up and did another tweet. And in 24 hours or so, they had like 35,000 views and impressions. Uh, t- post went totally viral. I wrote something up on CodeWritePlay.com to sort of uh, wrap these photos together and tell the story. And that was wildly popular. <laughs> like, everyone's really seemed to enjoy that. And I think that's because it strikes a chord. A lot of us grew up with this at many different ages. Many generations came up with Aladdin's Castle nearby. So uh, it was it was fun to tell my story, share my pictures again, and it was even more fun to hear people uh, send stories back, retweet things with commentary, and you know ask questions and give feedback. I've heard from people who worked at Aladdin's Castle locations over the years, and that was a lot of fun. I would... Truth be told, I would look for a book deal about, you know, looking to do a history of Aladdin's Castle story. I think that'd be a fantastic thing to to do interviews and and write up. However, there is a mafia element in the Aladdin's Castle story that I, I want to say uncovered, that I discovered. I was not the person to uncover it. Please don't come at me. But it's just very, very shallow beneath the surface. You start to learn things about organized crime family influence in the history of Aladdin's castle. Uh, this actually went to the Supreme Court at one time. There was a city in Texas versus Aladdin's castle that went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the question became something like, can a, um, can a city deny business licenses if there's suspicion of organized crime? Uh, at an applicant's company. It was a whole big thing, but there's a lot of really interesting and sordid history behind Aladdin's castle. And this crime family happens to be alive and well and very active and very large and very influential. I have no desire to report on Aladdin's castle for that reason. So it was fun to blog about not looking any further than that. Thank you. Let's see what else Phil had to say. As far as a couple of ideas, one idea I had, um, and maybe you've covered this, but uh, the role of coaching today, there, I, I didn't realize it was as big a business as it is right now, but some kids um, are offering lessons on how to play some of the more, more popular games, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of people are taking them up on them, including a lot of older adults. And uh, I've read where some uh, kids have, have uh, uh, a full slate of lessons to give, and I just thought that was super, super interesting. And, uh, you know, maybe that's an idea of, of uh, uh, focusing in on maybe a kid that's uh, doing coaching and uh, just how that has come to be such a burgeoning industry. Phil goes on for one more, but I want to stop and address that. So what he's talking about is coaching in esports, And in fact, it's worth uh, going even further than that to categorize this because there's coaching, of course, for esports teams. But there's also, because this has become so popular, in esports there are coaches and more like tutors who for a fee per hour or however they organize this, you can, you can hire someone to train you in Fortnite one-on-one or maybe one on a small group. And young people, young players are, are starting to go into business for themselves and cr- start their own tutoring or coaching business. 
And it is fascinating for anybody who doesn't know too much about esports or if you're just learning about esports, the first time you hear this stuff, it's like, wow, really? And so, of course, there have been a lot of different reactionary news articles about this, like uh, your kid may be paying someone to show him how to play video games, which is ultimately true, but you have to look at esports the same way you look at regular sports now. And that's what some parents don't haven't quite internalized yet, or they want to sort of kick back. I, I get the reaction to sort of knee-jerk reject the idea of esports as real sports, but the reason you should consider it and sort of take it seriously is... Esports is becoming very lucrative, not only for, you know, game developers and and um, event organizers and venues. This is starting to become a big source of academic opportunity. There are a ton of colleges, and I mean good schools, across the United States, probably around the world, who are starting to offer up big money for scholarships for esports. So, I mean, your Rocket Leagues, your Fortnites, your uh, whatever, uh, your Call of Duty, you name it. You can really make something of yourself and work your way into university to do pre-law or, you know, pre-med. Whatever it is you want to do, you can now get there playing video games. That's a big deal. And if you ask me, I mean, minus the athleticism aspect of it, is it that much more or less respectable to go do those same things on a baseball scholarship or a football scholarship? I understand these are tradition, but you have to you have to consider kids have different talents and different interests and a huge pastime and interest for kids for many decades now just turned into a way to get into college for the first time. We've got to take that seriously because esports are not going away. Pandemic notwithstanding, we've got some issues where, you know, we can't get into big venues anymore and rub shoulders and stand within coughing distance of one another for right now. And I don't know if you guys saw this tweet I put up. If you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw me carry on a little bit about a Call of Duty tournament that was quote unquote canceled because of the pandemic. And then mysteriously, lo and behold, all these players showed up somewhere that day at that time and still played their tournament. The event holder swears up and down like, hey, we had nothing to do with this. We canceled it. But there sure is video of, uh, you know, 100 cramped kids in a, a tiny space playing Call of Duty. I won't hold back about that. That's incredibly irresponsible. It's a bad idea. It's the same argument we're having about schools opening or closing or doing all virtual our school district was one of the last in the area, maybe one of the last in the state, to offer to have kids in the classroom coming up later in August for part of the week in person. My wife and I weren't going to go for that. My wife's a physician. She covers hospitals remotely and does COVID admissions all across the United States. She can tell you very well. We're not in decline on COVID. COVID's bad and getting worse. You know, this isn't a second wave. This was all one big wave. We did a little bit of good work with the precautions that we've taken. I Don't come at me on this because the things that people do to say we're social distancing and the versions of class that we're talking about doing, they're not going to work. There are already schools across the country that are starting to open up and starting to do programs. Kids are going in immediately, getting sick immediately, spreading it to one another, teachers, parents. It's not working. This idea of like, these kids will be fine. We'll go to the classroom and the teachers will be great. Uh, the big things I have to debunk here are kids can and do get very sick from COVID. It is very possible. 
regardless of the probability. If you could prevent a house fire, wouldn't you? Like, not that many people die from house fires, but if you could do something to prevent every house fire, do it! Okay, the low probability of a kid giving it to an adult. I mean, if it's true, it's not true enough that we shouldn't worry about it. COVID is dangerous to adults. Many adults. Healthy adults. If you don't believe that, I don't know what to tell you. It's true. And finally, this idea that masks and not sharing items that you can pick up and, and touching the same surfaces and stuff, this doesn't work. If multiple people are in a small room, whatever they're doing, this isn't considered an airborne disease. However, the particles do take a while to settle. And when people are grouped in small spaces, they've tested air at, at uh, supermarkets and stuff, and, and they routinely find it in the air. You can, you can look that up. So the point being, schools should be shut down, esports stuff should be shut down right now. Getting back to the point, esports is not going away. It's, I don't think it's going to be what they would call a bubble. I don't think it's going to suddenly readjust and everything because there's so much money in venues, merchandising, marketing, player contracts, all this stuff. It's created a lot of work for a lot of people. There's a lot of money changing hands. And these are sustainable things as long as we have games being actively developed. Honestly, it's a pretty good business model for certain studios to have one game that they came out with, really mastered the online play, they can work on new features on an ongoing basis, and they can basically cater to these groups of players and these esports teams and work on tournaments instead of just the next game instead. So I believe esports is very sustainable. I'm surprised it took this long for that to really take off, but I think it's only going to get bigger. I think that academic programs are going to be around for this forever because it makes a ton of sense to tap into what students like and what they want to do. It's not unreasonable to assume that a kid who goes into college with an interest in esports might also transfer over to computer science and learn programming, learn hardware architecture, learn all of these very advanced things that we so desperately need in the workforce, regardless of how many people are interested in doing it. We've got jobs for days for IT people. Not everybody's going to get to go work at EA Sports or, you know, Rare or whatever studio you enjoy. However, man, there are programming and software jobs for days. There's artificial intelligence stuff that's on the rise. We're not going to run out of software jobs anytime soon. And the people who go... Well, the AI thing is going to cost us all our jobs. No, it's not. Our jobs may change, but we're going to have plenty to do. No question. Especially once the rise of the robot soldiers starts. Let's move on. Point being here, this extends to these kids who want to go into business for themselves. So not only can a kid start playing in tournaments if he gets good at an eSport game, not only can he travel and do interesting things, maybe get a scholarship to school, there's a lot of stuff that I would consider a very positive experience for a kid to do who has become very good at a game like this. Content creation is a big one. Streaming is a big one. You know, you've got your YouTube videos. You can monetize that stuff right away. Very young people are very successful at that. Streaming, you can build a community and you play with your audience and you interact with people. It's not always the healthiest experience. A lot goes wrong in streaming. A lot goes wrong in content creation. However... It's a viable option, and it there are a lot of important life lessons to be learned in streaming and content creation. Well, now we've got kids who are ready to coach and tutor other kids. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, as a parent, I'd be very careful about 
who my kid was learning something from and what that experience was like, I would probably be in the room for a long time while this was going on. But I'm not saying I would never let my kid be tutored by another kid to play a game. I'm not sure I would let my kid be tutored by an adult as quickly. That would be a much longer vetting process. Maybe if it was someone I knew or knew a lot about. Again, I'd be very present and very active in that situation. But it's another uh, active parenting situation like all of these, like gaming in general. If there's gaming involved, you need to be involved in what your kid is doing. That's a discussion for another show. We've touched on it in the past. I'm sure we'll touch on it again. Let's move on and see what else Phil had to say. Oh, by the way, I, I almost moved on too fast. I had another idea about this. Wrapping this further into game development. Here's something you need to consider. If you... And we've, we've discussed in the past how I believe... I believe it's perfectly viable for an indie studio to come up with an esports game. I think it's possible. It's a big deal. It's a lot to support. But you've got the supportive cloud service companies behind you. Uh, Amazon S3 and Microsoft Azure and all these uh, cloud providers want nothing more than to bring indies in. That was their entire point when they brought me out to GDC in 2018. I talked to all their uh, Azure people, their DevOps people. They wanted nothing more than to bring people in at our level to start allowing their players to play in the cloud, save to the cloud, compete in the cloud. They wanted their services to benefit you, and that's why they start with pretty competitive pricing. Again, I'm, I've never been paid a dime by Microsoft, It's and that's why I say if you like Amazon better, do, eh, do Amazon stuff instead. But the point is, there's usually a way for you to get in with cloud development on the ground floor. So it's more possible than ever for an indie studio to do a competitive esports game. The way, the way coaching wraps into this, I want to bring up the example of Rocket League. If you look at Rocket League's training menu, Rocket League has sort of a sandbox tutorial slash training simulator built into it. If you didn't know this, you can you can create your own drills in Rocket League. So you can set up uh, spawn points for a ball. You can create rules like you have to hit the ball out of the sky into the goal within 10 seconds and you can't touch the ground or something like that. You've, it's, it's pretty flexible and you can make some pretty interesting scenarios. Now you can use that to create content, you can use that for your YouTube videos, your streaming, and it would be perfect for coaching somebody. To get somebody in a multiplayer lobby with you, you're, you're chatting on the headset, and you bring up your training scenario, and you guys can run drills for half an hour, something like that. Rocket League handled that perfectly. What's weird is, many, many other games that could do this don't do this. And I think this is something that we're missing out on. I think the future is going to be a lot of this. Games like Fortnite, let's pretend you've got, you know, bring five or six people into a lobby. You guys drop in, take positions, somebody coaches you through something, you've got a team, you run a drill, and it's set up with special parameters, special scorekeeping, whatever the case is. Almost any esports game I can think of, there's no reason you couldn't do this. So it's more work on the back end, but I think that would give back and return on that investment forever. I know it's very popular in Rocket League. You can look at YouTube videos where the top players will pull up their own training scenarios and they'll they'll talk you through it for a YouTube video and those have 4 million views each. I mean, it's a big deal. So if you're considering esports stuff, 
work in something for the streamers and the content creators like this. Allow people to train one another. Allow people to train on screen and uh, lecture on screen and stuff like this. These features are the future in esports, I promise. There's no way it's not. Coaching is an excellent topic to dive further into. I think I think that's a great idea to interview a coach or two, maybe someone who's got a coach or a tutor, and sort of talk through that experience because a lot of the articles now are a little more on the reactionary side. They're like, well, you're, you know, watch out. Somebody wants your kid's lunch money to learn how to play Rocket League. Ah, I mean, there's that element. You do need to be aware of people who want your kid's money. But, and I'm not saying they're exactly the same, but this exists on the same planet as a math tutor or a math coach. If you want to target, and I mean really apply yourself and go into, go after esports scholarships, you know, it's it's not exactly a rock star dream anymore. It's something that's somewhat plausible. So if you have a talent for it, if you're willing to do it once the fun kind of wears off, if you're a real competitor, you need real coaching. It's, it's a thing. So thank you, Phil, for that. Let's see what else you have to say. Second, I don't know if you know it, but there is a person in the soil community named Howie Rubin. And Howie was a pioneer in coin-op and brought us Qbert, um, among other games. Very knowledgeable, was in, uh, used to work at Atari as well. And um, I used to work with Howie. I, I know him, and he's just got infinite stories. Um, just really a joy to listen to all the stories that he has on uh, on some of the classic arcade games. And um, he might be somebody you might want to reach out to. And I, I'll invite him to this conversation. But uh, he's definitely one that... Uh, um, that might be worth an interview. So uh, just thought I'd throw those ideas out. Thank you. Again, thank you, Phil. That was awesome. The answer to that question is yes. I would I would give my left arm to have Howie, Howie Rubin on this podcast. He sounds fascinating, and he is not a hard guy to track down on the internet. He was a VP of marketing at Atari, and he helped get Qbert out there. I mean, Qbert. That's we're talking like top ten original, you know, uh, classic games. This is this would be huge. He seems like a fascinating guy. His mention in the Cubert Wikipedia article is very interesting. I would absolutely talk to this guy, and I have no doubt that we would enjoy hearing some of his stories. So I'm probably going to bug Phil again about that at some point because, and really, we've we've actually got a queue of. Uh, very interesting guests lined up. People e- are starting to email me from agencies and stuff left and right and offering up people who I wouldn't have really thought I could get access to so easily. So we've got some good recordings coming up and um, I'm going to be speaking in a few minutes about what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks. So hold that thought. But yes, Howie Rubin, formerly of Atari, formerly of working on Qbert, I, I would love to have him on the podcast. Okay, along those same lines, let's hear from our next user. This is, uh, his, his handle is Shammy, and uh, his name on his profile is Shammy Muhammad. Let's hear what he has to say. Hey, Todd, this is very, very interesting. Um, first of all, I need to apologize to you. I've been wanting to listen to your podcast. It's been on my to-do list for the last few days, and I haven't got around to it. I am a game developer. I've uh, been in the industry for 20 years, uh, mostly... Uh, Microsoft first party, Xbox. Most of my time was spent in uh, Forza Motorsport and made by Turn 10 Studios. I also released a mobile game as an indie uh, startup uh, called Motovili on iOS. 
right now I'm with Tesla and uh, I'm helping with bringing video games uh, to cars. <laughs> um, I don't know if there is uh, anything specific, any specific uh, way I can help you here uh, or any specific contributions. Let me know uh, either ways uh, and I'd be glad to uh, help. Thanks. Okay, I played that one because I'm not sure people would have believed me if I didn't. He worked at Microsoft on first-party titles, including the Forza series, some of my favorite racing games of all time, then went into indie development to release an iPhone game, then moved over to Tesla, where he works on... He's one of the people who works on bringing video games to the cars. So when you see those articles about, like, heads up, the new Tesla model is going to play The Witcher, you know, stuff like that, he works on that. Are you kidding me? Of course we're going to be talking to Shammy because that is... <laughs> that's probably one of the most interesting careers I've heard about since I started doing the podcast. And uh, since that time, we've exchanged a couple of messages to the extent of, hell yes, let's do this. So... Again, I'm going to try to set up a time. Um, he is, only, I think he's only a couple of hours behind me, so we shouldn't have any trouble scheduling a call, and uh, I'm going to try to get him on just as soon as I possibly can. I've spoken with another very popular level designer whose name I won't drop or games that he's worked on because everybody will uh, drop a jaw when they hear about that. I, I try to be fair to my guests by not dropping their names until we have a time pretty well locked in sometimes till we already record the call i don't i don't want to put pressure on people because people are so gracious with their time on this podcast and i love that then a team of people ah here's something in what is it like one week i think it might be late next week i'm going to be covering the audio engineering society's conference on audio for ar slash vr augmented reality slash virtual reality of course it's a long name, but it's something like that. So there's going to be a conference in virtual reality about virtual reality audio. They're going to have a ton of really interesting speakers. Again, I won't ruin that list yet. I'm going to be covering that at CodeWriteplay.com and then hopefully interviewing a round of those um, those speakers for that event. So that's why I thought it'd be fun to play these clips, talk about some of these topics today, then also talk about... All of these amazing people we're going to be hearing from on the podcast soon because that is going to be just outstanding. Also wanted to say, I think it's going to be the next episode that I upload to SoundCloud. I have to go back and check to make sure that's true. But I think the next one I upload after this show is going to be episode 100 and I have a plan for that. And it was a plan that came from Twitter and I'm very excited. It's going to take a bunch of careful, tricky editing but it's going to be well worth it. I'm very excited. I can't tell you guys how much fun it's been to do this show for the last couple of years and doing 100 episodes of this feels like such an accomplishment. I've got plans for the future. I've got other opportunities this has led to, which is just, I'm so grateful for. I'm just, I'm basically a fanboy. I'm a fan of the game industry. You guys know me. I've only worked on the indie side. I've made a lot of friends around the web from, you know, all sorts of game development environments from all states, countries, time zones, you name it. The only place I haven't talked to somebody about games is on the International Space Station. And if anyone goes up there and wants to call and be on the show, 
we will work out. <laughs> we'll work it out. But uh, point being, I'm so grateful to all of you who have stuck with me through this. You know, the early episodes probably weren't my best work, but the show has shaped up a lot. It's not perfect. I love that you guys hang with me because you love it as much as I do. We love the creative side of this. We love doing this and we love this community. So I'm so appreciative. Thank you guys so much. And I will look forward to doing something a little special. If I find out the next one is not the 100th episode, we'll just have that ready for when we do upload the 100th. So a lot of really awesome interviews are coming also. So uh, our buddy Matt Hill wanted to be on for this one. It was my fault. I had some family stuff we were doing for a couple of days. So there was really no way for me to line up a recording time with Matt. So we're going to have him back on just to hang out and goof off and stuff as well. So a lot of fun stuff coming. You guys are the best. Thank you to uh, those of you who left clips, Phil and Shammy. And uh, we'll do another one of these call for podcast topics on Swell. Just download the app. It's free. You can create an account for free. And I know it's like it's probably a hard service to use like if you're at work or you're working full time or, you know, things are busy at the house. You don't necessarily have a lot of quiet time. You can record something into your phone. But people on the site do get that, and everyone's very understanding if there's a dog in the background or a plane flying overhead. It's it's kind of a cool app, and I think it's going to be really good for podcasters to use. So I want to continue to integrate that into my podcast and have that be a way that you guys can leave some feedback and get involved in shows yourselves if you would like. So, and uh, on Swellcast, the, uh, the podcast is at GameDevPodcast, so you can find that easy enough. And if you search for Game Dev Breakdown, I'm sure you'll find it that way too. So that's all I've got for this time. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week. Congratulations on your Game Dev Breakdown, whatever that is. Uh, yes. This is one John Rando again. I got so excited about Bunny Festival 2, I forgot to mention the important part of my phone call. The segment you have on at the end of each episode with Rain Wilson, I would like to have a conversation with Mr. Wilson. If you could reach out to Mr. Wilson, let him know I'm a huge fan. That's John Rando at mindyourownbusiness at gmail.com. Two apps in there, not just one, two. Some people need one, some people need two. Hey, you make sure you have a good day, America. Sounds idiotic to me.